Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and our favorite way to buy and sell tickets to sporting events, concerts, and whatever else you want to go to. With the SeatGeek mobile app, you can quickly and easily buy tickets with just two taps and have your tickets delivered straight to your phone to enter the event. And if you can't make the event, SeatGeek now lets you transfer tickets to your friends or post your tickets for sale all from your phone. As a special offer to Channel 33 listeners, SeatGeek is giving $20 back off your first purchase with the promo code BSPN. To get $20 back off your first SeatGeek purchase, download the SeatGeek app today and enter code BSPN. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch on the Channel 33 podcast feed. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor for TheRigger.com and on the other line, he's spring queening. It's Andy Greenwald! Oh, buddy, it's spring here in the east, but there was a snowstorm last night. Did you know that? I did. I did. My mother called me and said it's going to snow tonight. And she hadn't even looked at the weather report. That's so sweet. (laughs) It's very sweet of your mother, but it's a little bit like, is she just impinging on John Belaris's turf? (laughs) (laughs) That's just for the real Philly heads. When Hurricane Schwartz is up in this. Boy, that AccuWeather. He's not AccuWeather. Uh, Andy, what's up, man? It's Chris. It's Andy. It's The Watch. You can get us on the Channel 33 podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Uh, this is The Watch. You can also subscribe to The Ringer's uh, newsletter, which we put out frequently. And you, we've been doing it since last week. Uh, there were four last week. There was one this week. Go to TheRinger.com, and you get the newsletter. Just sign up for that. It's really good. we got Jason Concepcion, Brian Curtis writing. And uh, Greenwald, last night we kind of did a impromptu, well, it was planned, but it wasn't that impromptu, but we did a Sunday night television characters, uh, TV characters power rankings. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, the winner, the winners of that power rankings were Adam and Jessa from Girls, and we figured, what the hell, let's talk about Girls today, because we haven't pretty much all this season. Ooh. What number on the list did Richie Finestra's sinus cavities come in at? <laughs> like, w- 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 did, were they, did they share number three, or we're is it still, like three and four? We're like having left one, uh, right one? The, the International Doping Agency check into the legality of his <laughs> sinus cavities. It's kind of like a Lance Armstrong That's thing right. where we're not sure if it's uh, – he may be doping. We're not sure. Yeah, I, I think we should definitely look into that. I'm I'm glad we're going to do this because you know clearly we're not the only people to to realize or notice that in its fifth season, girls is girls is happening, girls is popping off. It's good, and this is coming after I thought a lackluster season. I think a lot of people have written the show off. Um, I was happy to see our old pal Brian Raftery just wrote a piece just went up today Monday on Wired.com. Basically saying, I think in many ways, everything we're about to say, which is that, hey, wow, this show is actually really insightful and compelling now. And a lot of it is because of its just radical late game pivot yeah. to the true stars of track and field, <laughs> Jessa and uh, Jessa and Adam, man. I mean, it's amazing. She, she, she took Kylo Ren to bed. She did. She, she, she took him in all sorts of ways. I mean, that's <laughs> definitely been a running theme these last two weeks. Um, um, you know, Andy, the, the, this is why I wrote like the quick blurb in the, in the newsletter. And really what I said was just that after four seasons, girls finally found like an actual, a couple worth cheering for after all the different permutations yeah. of people that they had tried out after Ray being into Marnie and, and Ray being into Shoshona and 
Hannah's various uh, ex-boyfriends and whatever, and even at Hannah and Adam, which was supposed to be the sort of central relationship of the show, uh, they finally arrived at this one where it's the two most interesting people, I think the two best actors by quite a distance on the show, and they've mm-hmm. actually given these people, you know, despite some early trepidation on both of their parts about whether they should kind of go through with their romantic relationship or not, um, this is one of those sort of weird... I am almost scared for them because you don't want that you don't want them to like lose what they have to the extent that you care about fictional characters. Do they have too much baggage and is there too much everything has to go back to Hannah eventually to make you believe that this is going to keep going indefinitely? No, I don't think so because I I think that um you know Lena Dunham generally you know, she she obviously is the writer, director, star, multi-hyphenate of this show, but I don't think she has much of an ego about her performance or the centrality of her character's role in the show. You know, I think obviously she's made the decision to pair off these characters, and it's creating pretty good drama with her own character as well. I thought the scene with Jessa um, at, at that that ridiculous place, Rice to Riches. You know, do you know that? Remember that place in uh, in in Nolita? Or Little Italy or wherever it is and Rice to Riches in that New York. That wasn't like, my spot. That place opened. No, it wasn't my spot either, but it looked like an Apple store before there were Apple stores and they just sold uh, rice pudding. And I remember like just, you know, the way 25-year-olds are cocky. I was like, that place is doomed. Well, look at it now. Bright lights, big city. Um, so is it... But the scene between Hannah and Jessa there where basically, you know, she's like, you're, all, you're being mean to me. I'm always mean to you. But yeah, you're usually nicer. That was just a terrific scene, and they were both really good in it. So I think it's creating a lot of dramatic possibilities throughout the cast. The, the, the point I wanted to make about it, though, is, you know, you could... Someone is going to write this piece, um, and whether it's at the end of this season or at the end of the show's run, because season six is going to be the last season, someone is going to write a piece talking about this late-game resurgence and how it was really based on taking emotions more seriously than the show had in the past. And the piece will probably try to make the point that with a show called Girls, it was about people figuring it out and being silly and being um, a little bit detached and ironic and just clumsy in a lot of ways. And then, you know, as I think the poster said a little while ago, you know, finally starting to figure it out. And so the show was maturing as the characters were maturing. Right. I'm not entirely sure that's true. I think that's a very... I like that argument, and I think that would look good in an essay form. But I think the truth is the show... And we, we've said this because we've been doing our podcast as long as the show's been on the air, I think. Like, the, the show was very didn't really seem to have a lot of confidence in how to deal with actual emotional things would always take a step back a lot of the characters still seem like they're in different actually they still seem like they're in different shows i think desi is is just you know is being teleported in from a much broader comedy one that i enjoy but i i think that the show is finally trusting itself it's trusting those muscles that it can tell emotional stories and have some resonance so the the story the 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 love story between um uh, Elijah and and um, uh, you know Corey Stoll, Congressman Peter Russo. Yeah, Corey Stoll, my neighbor here in Brooklyn. It, it's it's so far it's nothing but kind of sweet, can, right? Can we and, get a quick uh, um, Park Slope th- neighbor update on on what your premium TV you know block mates are? Who who are we dealing with? We got Wags from Billions, right? Yeah, is Giamatti yeah, we got Wags in your from Billions? No, Buscemi is in my neighborhood. Okay. Stole. I see Buscemi, and then uh, stole, and then you know the mayor of New York City. I saw him at the uh, saw him at the Y this morning. Um, <laughs> which let me just say, I really appreciate. Having oh wait, you Secret really Service mean the mayor of New York installed. City, not the not like the mayor of New York City 
Bobby Axe Axelrod. <laughs> no, Billy DeBlaz. I saw I saw him this morning, uh, uh, a, a shirtless in the gym. But I really appreciate that there's a Secret Service agent in front of the locker room, just because it makes me feel more secure about where my Adidas are resting. You go to the um, Y, huh? I'm a man of the people. What do you think? I go to you think I go to Equinox? Yeah, Come on. I was just wondering. Look, you do think that? Come on. Look. Don't don't take me off my really hot girls point. I just wanted to say that I I I and then and then I'll I'll let you have the floor on this and you could, you know, you can really interrogate my gym choices. But um I I think that it's really fun as a fan of not just of this show but of the medium to see a series find another gear late in its in its run and the truth is you know people making shows often don't know what the show is capable of until they try it and it's i understand why people are reticent to try big swings and in that way it's sort of similar to actors like you don't know what actors are capable of until you cast them and give them the material and i was thinking of that when i was watching um last week's better call saul which we don't need to go off on a tangent about but but michael keen who's mckean who's just a tremendous comedic actor and a good actor full stop he had that great monologue with our girl Kim about um, about their father, and he just crushed it six different ways. He crushed it, and I was thinking like that's not what you'd expect from Michael McKean on a prestige cable drama in 2016, but he's capable of it. And so it's kind of like a can I can I make a trust fall analogy? Considering we just watched that Spring Queening episode, that that's what the season of Girls feels like to me. I didn't know what it was capable of, but it's much more fun seeing them try. I thought one, you know, when you were talking, uh, and I was thinking about whether or not you had just done a leg day or a chest day, but after I was done thinking of that, I was wondering... You know, one of the things, Chris. Chris, do you want your co? Chris, do you want me to be your co-host, or do you want an R and B dude with a six pack? That's the question. That's Kanye's question, and it's mine. I was wondering whether or not, you know, last season I think the criticism of girls was that, um, you know, the show's not called Friends for a reason. But I, I kind of felt like these people didn't seem like they would be friends anymore. You know, for the most part. In fact, they. Mm-hmm. It seemed like any situation in which they were all put together seemed really forced. And I think that they kind of realized that, and that's why really the only time they've actually been together is the wedding and then that random sort of, in, you know, Jessa, Hannah, Marnie scene where Marnie was briefly away from Desi uh, when he was building her mm-hmm. a new one-bedroom apartment inside of the apartment. But, you know, <laughs> I think, can we just talk a little bit about um, Driver and Jemima Kirk's performances for a second? Yeah. Because I, uh, I really... She's great. I mean... They're just... So... They they are both the most like human and electric performers performers on the show, and they've been sort of separated for this entire series. And, and I can't think of another example. I mean, you know, they, you could make all sorts of friends comparisons about when they used to just pair people off and and keep rotating until they found the right chemistry with folks. And the same thing for How I Met Your Mother and lots of sitcoms that not sitcoms but you know romantic comedies that run run for several seasons where they wind up just pairing people off until they find something that works or the show ends. I I just can't think of another time when this has worked like this. No, me either. And what's funny about it is that in many ways the roles those actors played for a lot of the previous seasons were very broad, very supporting, right? They were the characters who did the extreme things for the more quote-unquote normal characters to react to. So in a way, this is like 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 uh, pairing off Kramer and, and Ehrlich Bachman, yeah. right? The, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly finding the heart of the show in a place you totally didn't expect. Um, it's, side note, 
you and I are, are big fans of apparently of, of pitting sisters against one another. You know, <laughs> I, I ride for Kate Mara, you ride for Rooney. That's cool. We, that's water under the bridge. But I have to say, Jemima may have been fired up by all the attention going to her all sister this Lola. This Lola Lola's season. Cr- I know, because like ever since Gone Girl, Lola's name is on the streets. Like that's who people talk about. Lola's crushing it. Lola is so good in Mistress America, just crazy good. And uh, you know, from from what I hear from from dozens of my least interesting friends, she's really good on Mozart in the Jungle. <laughs> so Jemima really bringing it back. But you know, the thing is, can I ask sometimes you a quick question hear, though? Did you ever see Gone Girl? <laughs> Please, that's what this is for. Uh, Gone Girl, the the film. Yes, the Gone Girl, the film, not the not the video of somebody reading Gone Girl. No, but the video of someone reading it is very compelling. It's very, very, very compelling. Um, look, what I was going to say was, you know, it, it's a cliche for rappers to say that they are not rappers. Like, they just rap, you know, on the side because they're businessmen or whatever. Sure. And to that, and that, that can get kind of annoying. It's similarly annoying when you have someone like Jemima Kirk, who's bio or story is basically like i'm not an actor i'm just a creative person who's friends with lena dunham but but there is an argument to be made for her not being quote-unquote an actor because she is so completely relaxed and natural in front of the camera and has just been percolating this character for four plus years that now that she's playing all the different notes to it it's tremendous she was so good in the scene where she came to his door last week oh yeah she was really really she was really really good in the scene with her sister this week yeah yeah, that was just it, – it's just – it's nice. It's okay for the show to settle on nice things. It doesn't always have to be a little bit snarky, a little bit air quotes. You know, there's there's there's, there's room for more here, which was – I mean, it, it's it's kind of surprising. Well, that's my that was my last question about this. We always kind of play armchair quarterback about like, oh, you could just do this show if you – if you, you could take Richie Finestra out of vinyl and it would, it would be great. Or you could just – do this and move this character and basically like want to, we want to adjust the sliders on on the mix for shows and 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 add more subtract characters do you think that this is the same thing if it's 18 minutes of adam and jessa and four or five minutes of other people or you know 15 and seven or whatever the the mix is for a show like this w- would it work as well if you had three scenes of adam and jess instead of like the the sex scene and the dinner scene that we had I, I mean, it would be just fundamentally a very different show, but I think that you could craft a pretty compelling show out of that relationship, you know, but you'd have to expand their, their palettes a little bit. But absolutely. I mean, I think that that is a load-bearing beam, as Carpenter Desi would say, <laughs> before attacking it with a Ray Bradbury uh, paperback collection. Can I just – one last point about this. Um, I want to create a new category, and we can do this going forward on, on the show, and maybe you can help me come up with a, with a name for it. But I feel like there should be a word for celebrities or creative people who are just doing it right. And what I mean by that is people who are taking full advantage of their celebrity or whatever and doing the things that you should do in those positions. Now, currently, the belt holder for that are our old friends Matthew Reese and Matthew Good for their show Wine Show, which basically involved them conning a British network to rent them an Italian villa and have people bring them delicious wine while they just get sozzled on camera. And, I, and if people have not seen the trailer for this, I, it's the greatest thing in the world. And I showed it to the, the American showrunners last week. And this is the guy who stars in their show. And they're, 
I wish that I, we were still recording because the sound of their jaws hitting the floor would have just been radio gold. The thing is, um, is that when you see these okay, food so, shows and and you see like and, and if they're drinking on these food shows, you're like, oh yeah, but then they probably spit it out later or they're they're not. These guys are shit faced. It's it's amazing. Like they were no. they couldn't open a wine bottle in one of the clips I was watching. They're like, oh, is it a a cork? You put a little stick in and you twist it. Listen. Listen, there's no way you're wearing a hat like Matthew Good is wearing unless you've had more than half a bottle of Sangiovese. Like, there's just no way. But but what I wanted to say about it in general was they're the belt holders, but coming on strong is the crew of girls who are just like, mm, let's go to Japan. Like, let's not, not only let's go to Japan, let's apparently just bring A.D. Bryant to Japan. So, by the way, shouts to A.D. Bryant, how I spent my summer vacation. You did it right, girl. But not only did they go to Japan, this last episode, they're posted up in a fori, which is a ramen place. I'm dying to go, Chris. Do you know what people say about their shio yuzu broth? Like, that's a real deal place I would love to go to. And they're just filming there. They just got someone else to underwrite an emotional scene for them there. See, what I thought you were going to talk about it. was uh, how Adam Driver has handled his post-Kylo Ren career. Because a lot of the times what happens is an actor wins a... Um, like an Oscar or is in a blockbuster and then all the stuff that they sort of signed up to do before they got famous or critically acclaimed or an award became an award winner Mm -hmm. comes out in the next couple of months. So this is sort of basically the, uh, the Brie Larson Skull Island situation where <laughs> Brie Larson <laughs> is like the hottest actress in all of Hollywood, but she's got to be in this like King Kong expanded universe movie in a couple of months. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> same thing is for Driver where he did he is he is the bad guy in the biggest movie of all time and is easily the most interesting which, which by the way was a career changing move for Billy Zane the previous <laughs> record holder of the bad guy in the biggest movie of all time Zane uh and then Driver comes back and he's on girls and he's not like oh I got to be on this TV show he just goes full throttle into it he's He's like the best part about it, or one of the best parts about this show. And then on the side, he's in this movie Midnight Special that came out this weekend that I just wanted to mention, um, which I saw on Friday. And it's a Jeff Nichols movie. Jeff Nichols did Mud and Take Shelter and um, uh, Shotgun Stories. And and uh, and this and he's got a new another movie coming out this fall, I think, with Joel Edgerton called Loving. And this movie mm-hmm. is like you know it. it it has like a little bit of like a third act hiccup, but for the first, for the most part, it's like this beautiful, very unique, original. I, I think it owes a lot to Carpenter and Spielberg, but it's this excellent movie. And Driver plays this. I mean, Brian Curtis wrote about it in our newsletter last week. Driver plays this government official who's right out of like the sort of Steven Spielberg playbook of having like the thoughtful guy on the other side who's trying to see our hero's perspective. Driver's awesome in Midnight Special. If you guys haven't seen it, it, it's definitely worth checking out. Some really good Edgerton and Shannon in that one. I, I think one thing about Can it, you imagine though, the wine Driver show with jo- Joel like... Edgerton and Michael Shannon? Oh, my God. I wish Wine Show was just a franchise. And let me say, thank you for thinking I was going to take this conversation in a more elevated way towards, like, people's real careers. Because really, all I care about is people who have a cer- enough celebrity to just go eat and drink on other people's dimes. Right. Like, that, that is all I'm, that's all I'm going for. But the thing about Driver that is, that is probably worth noting is that that dude, this wasn't 
his five-year plan. Like, no. of, his vision board did not include using the force, right? Like, he was, I think, he was in the military, right? And then, like, got into acting, doing off-Broadway stuff, and then got girls. And then, you know, it's just such an interesting presence and so talented that he started getting cast. But he was coming at all of this sideways. So I would imagine, you know, getting to do big stuff like that is fun. But, like, that's the deviation from the norm. It's not like, you know, he. I'm sure he's going to get more parts now, but it's not like... If he hadn't been Kylo Ren, he would have been asked to audition for young Han Solo. You know, he's not on that list right. of like up and comers, which is quote unquote young and handsome actors in a traditional sense. But I think he's so he is an example of somebody who, whether it's this is where I leave you or Lincoln, so whether he's in sort of like a mainstream dramedy or has like a walk on part in Lincoln, he really makes the most out of whatever he's doing. But isn't it just kind of you know there there is no there is no one true path for a successful young actor to follow. But if you have a certain amount of buzz and you have good enough representation and juice and whatever, there there are certainly a lot worse models to follow than the just work with great directors model, right? Because what's the downside to that? We've heard you know I was thinking about um, like like Cuba Gooding Jr. and that really good interview that oh, was yeah. up in New York Magazine yeah, on Vulture. Yeah was basically like, I wasted 20 years, but now I know that I just need to work with good directors and good things will happen. And you see that the people who have good experiences and good, you know, not bumpy runs in, earlier in their career are ones who follow that. Like, there's a reason why, yes, Channing Tatum made Jupiter Ascending in G.I. Joe, but he also worked with the Coen brothers and Steven Soderbergh, and that sort of helps keep you on a straight path. Like, there's really no downside to taking the 28th... Um, credited part in a paul thomas anderson movie right like that's never going to backfire on you assuming you don't have like car payments which it will definitely not help you pay right right and it, it get, i guess it just and also depends on i'm sure like who's your agent and who's your manager and are they telling you no you need to have you need to do like look at what happened with ryan reynolds right who's now sort of a star again after five or six years of of sort of banging around box office flops. And... Ever, ever since ever since Bill ethered him in year one of Grantland. Right, but he he's somebody who I think probably could have had... Well, you know, it's really weird, because like, I feel like he probably, his movies have ultimately made more money than Channing Tatum's movies, but they have a similar appeal, I think, in the sense that they're like very funny pretty boys. Um, and he could have been right. in a lot of these movies that, that Channing Tatum has like knocked out that are smaller... And taking more control of his career, and and I think Ryan Reynolds just showed up in a lot of things like Safe House and and what's the one R.I.P.D. or whatever the one with Jeff Bridges where they're like fighting oh, dead people. Right, R.I.P.D. and Safe House are examples of movies where the part was okay. Who's next, and we'll cast that person. Right, and a or lot it's of also like you get to be the star like of a big Hollywood movie that will have like a fifty million dollar promotional budget, and that's I think enticing. But people. here's the, but the only Ryan Reynolds performance that I really liked. In the last decade, I think was in um, Adventureland. Yeah, of course. Remember when he was sort of like he was sort of the the, the Spikowski or sorry Spikowski Spicoli figure um, at the camp, and that was just as you know he basically just showed up probably for three days of shooting and had fun. And I think the other stuff is enticing, but I think you're right; it's also bad advice because then he also went on a run of like I can be a serious act. He tried to do the thing where you play the the the, the melody. Um, of movie star, but then you try to keep a little backbeat going to prove you still have it. Yeah, right. And the way he proved he still had it was choosing probably not... He was choosing starring roles in indie films directed by untested people. And that isn't always a, a, a great way to success because he, he he was the lead in that movie where he was in a box the whole time. Yeah. 
Oh Remember yeah, buried. Like buried, buried alive. Yeah, like buried. Buried. Yeah. yeah. These are t- these are tougher cells, and when you look at the like the the expanse of the IMDb page, they look regardless of their artistic merits or your reason for doing them, it starts to look a little calculated in a way that's I think off putting. But hey, he's back, man. All, it, apparently, people want cursing superheroes. Who knew? <laughs> um, all right, Andy, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about a new show that you know we haven't gotten a chance to get to over the last couple of weeks. Um, but we should have because it really is right up our alley, and that's Happen Leonard. That's it's on the Sundance Channel, and it's been I think it's uh, had four episodes so far. I think it's only three. I think the third is airing Wednesday. Okay, and this comes to you from uh, Jim Mickle, who's a director. Of, uh, d- d- mostly done feature work up until now. He did, and I'm actually like a really big fan of his stuff. So he did a a, a, a vampire movie called Stakeland, and a really 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 cool noir movie set in texas i believe called cold in july and that book that film which started um michael c hall and i think don johnson was also in that that was based off a book by um joe r lansdale who's a like, sort of celebrated crime writer for the last who's been working mm-hmm. quite some time since the last 30 years or so and um he so cold in july is based on one of lansdale's books and now mickle is adapted the Happen Leonard series uh, for Sundance. And it stars James Purefoy and uh, Michael K. Williams. And it's set up in, it's set in sort of uh, East Texas. So I guess the Gulf area in a, um, I think it's a mm-hmm. fictional part of Texas. And co-stars Jimmy Simpson and Christina Hendricks. And uh, the plot is pretty simple. It's the plot of like 80% of crime novels. There's like a bag of money somewhere and there's a race to go get it from a bunch of people with uh, mixed motivations. Um, it's got incredible atmosphere and it feels incredibly lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the? We, we, you watched first episode. I watched first episode. What did you think of this? I watched. I watched two. And um, let me say, I was incorrect. The fourth episode is on this week, and it's out of six. And I think all of them should be streaming on demand. On you know, just go go to your provider. Check out Sundance TV. Um, I wish. Yeah, I, wish, I, I feel bad that we didn't get into this earlier because it seems almost tailor made for us, and it kind of is. It. It, what you said is exactly right that it's it follows the path of a lot of um the crime fiction that we like and that it's enormously dependent on atmosphere and you know there's a MacGuffin and a bag of money and a whatever and that almost doesn't even matter but the other part of it that is like the fiction that we like so much is that there is a lived in warm and enjoyable central relationship and in you know in the books and in the show both both these guys so Purefoy's Hap and and Michael K Williams Leonard in the beginning, they're they're working on rose farms, which is kind of an amazing image. They're basically just day laborers and kicking around, and they're still. It's 1985 in the show, but they're both still burned by the 60s in various ways. Hap, I guess, was uh, an activist in some ways, and, and Leonard was in Vietnam. And oh, also they know how to jump kick people, which I love. Yeah. By the way, Joe R. Lansdale's <laughs> Wikipedia page, which I highly recommend, it says that he is an American writer, author, martial arts expert, and martial arts instructor, which is a dope lead. <laughs> like I, I, I could only hope to have that written about me one day, whether yeah. it's true or not. Chris Ryan is a um, blogger, a podcast host, and a a karate <clears throat> black belt would be would be cool. Or or like Krag Maga, right? Yeah. Don't you say that the way like crows talk? <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually know how to say it, but um, it, it it's interesting to see the kind of stuff that we like so much just basically ported to a different medium where it might not always work because you and I, you know, we, we talk about the writers we like a lot. We still promise to one day update our crime fiction Tumblr, snitchbutlers.tumblr.com. Um, 
you know, the author that I love almost more than anyone, any other, James Crumley, I reread his books every few years because I love them more than anyone else's books. I can't tell you what happens in them. I have no idea what the plot is. You know, it's really just about atmosphere and character and, and, and the rush you get from reading them. So to see it translated into TV, which you kind of have to know a little bit of what's going on, is interesting. And there are elements of this show that I'm like, it, it's, I could see people thinking it starts to touch the edge of preposterousness, whether it's Jimmy Simpson's like kind of over-the-top uh, evil villain character lurking or just the sort of lived-in clever way that Happ and Leonard talk to each other. Yeah. But because, I, because I'm a sucker for this stuff... I was all in, and it didn't bother me at all. Did you had, did you have the same reaction? Yeah, I actually felt like this was like the the deeper into the onion I got, like the more layers we peeled away, the more I loved it. Um, so when it starts out, there's about twenty or thirty minutes, and it feels very kind of like, you know, maybe it was pure foy, and I was just like, I know this dude is from like Somerset, you know, and like I was kind of just sort of <laughs> uh, thrown by the casting a little bit. But as it got deeper, yeah, and there's more stuff with Hendrix, and then when they there's a there's a scene where they sort of meet. This crew of people who want them to go to to want to help, have happen Leonard help them find this bag of money at the bottom of a river, and you find out about their motivations and they're sort of these uh, almost like weather underground '60s holdouts, you know. And then when Simpson shows up, you know it's been a while since this has happened. I don't know if you want to call it the Jesse or the Omar, but the guy who shows up at the end of a first episode and kind of injects life into the show. The show is very mm-hmm. much one thing for the first 40 minutes. And then when Jimmy Simpson shows up listening to like New Order or whatever in his Trans Am with a six foot uh, neon dressed Amazon woman next to him, it's it's pretty exciting. It gets like it, it's definitely a shot of adrenaline. I think that it's just these limited series are so well suited for this kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about Night Manager in a couple of weeks along with Last Panthers, mm-hmm. this kind of like, you know, it starts small and it just keeps, the ripple keeps going out. Crime stories are really perfect for, for six to eight episode shows. It's interesting you mentioned that. I think people should stick around the pilot to the very end. And it's interesting you mentioned that moment because when I, I talked to someone um, who was on the other side of the, of the production for this, who was involved in it, and, you know, weeks, months before I got to see it, and was basically like, well, it, there's kind of a deal breaker at the end of the episode, and we're not sure how people are going to take it. And here's the thing. It, it, it's interesting that he phrased it that way, because for me, I was like, oh, okay, sure. Like, you kind of want that jolt of crazy. Yeah, yeah, because it's, so, you know? it's so homespun I, and, like, folky for the first 40 minutes, and then it feels like all of a sudden, like, the the snow globe gets shaken up a little bit. And it's nice when, it, like, that happened in, in, that, that did happen with episode three of The Wire when, when Omar shows up. And it does happen in Breaking Bad when Jesse shows up where a kind of different energy comes into the show and it really does jolt everybody. And I, and I, 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 I did want to say that um, Christina Hendricks is really good in she's this. She's great. Um, and, and allowed to be good in a way that she, you know, she was amazing on Mad Men. But she's so wait, what did that person mean here. by deal breaker? My, Just that it was like morally, like, uh, a confrontational or something or no I just think he thought people would turn it would turn people off immediately not either because of the fact that it's violent but also because it seemed like beamed in from another galaxy yeah not that was not this show and I feel like we need to be going towards those moments you know like not in a cynical way like we need to surprise people with anything to keep them watching but just like let's reach for it because what's the worst you're gonna do like you're on a 
a network that isn't you know wildly watched and it's there's a lot of competition out there so reach reach for the ring man yeah it's funny but if i, I, I if i say, gave you Michael a book King. where i was like and on the back of the book the description of the plot had and then there's you know soldier with his six foot girlfriend and they listen to new wave music and kill cops like you'd be like oh mm-hmm. man like that's that's intense like I, I gotta get into this but in a show it, it is kind of a splash when he comes in Right, because it, you're, it's it's just tonally different. But um, but Michael K. Williams is his usual outstanding self. But for as good as the performances are, what made the show for me is the atmosphere. And immediately, you know, we've we've talked about this in the context of other shows, and so we'll just use the same language that we've been using, which is to say, when the show starts, I was like, okay, this is a place. I buy it. I buy that this is a place. I. They they happen Leonard leave the rose fields and they go buy Nilla wafers and Dr Pepper at a small supermarket and they've been in the fields all day and they're like sweaty and dirty and I was like this is a place where people go from hard labor and then they go buy their groceries and I'm tracking this I buy it yeah, and yeah. then there's a scene where Hap is with um, Christina Hendricks for the first time and there's a sudden rainstorm and it feels soggy and heavy clouds and you you feel that and then most of all here's the example I most want to I, I want to call out. It's in the, I think it's in the second episode, um, the, one of the guys that they're hooked up with cooks them dinner, and he cooks them spicy green beans and tofu. And it, there's a couple words and a couple bits of dialogue about this dinner that he's made. And it comes up again, uh, like a scene later. And I was so grateful that there was time for that conversation. That yeah. The show took the time for it. Yeah. Because that is the first thing that gets cut out of most shows. But... The pivot from that point is this, which is I worry about – I know I haven't written TV criticism in a while, but I still worry. I, I, feel, still worry. I feel like this episode um, has like a cloud of you uh, – this episode of our show has a cloud of you just being like, put me in, coach. I'm, I'm out here. I'm out here throwing warm-up I pitches. I'm hungry. Here, somebody should write this piece about girls. Well, to be fair, I suggested a flawed piece. That's how I'll know who my true friends and my true enemies are. Um, <laughs> girls think pieces but, for my real friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's right sham pieces for my i don't know how to do it martinelli cider friends um the with the thing that the thing that concerned me though is that as we've reached this point where you know we the, the nichification of tv where there's you know there's there's tv on every level high middle and low i worry that because that there's so much room for conversations about string beans that are not just wasting time, but are relevant and at mood setting and, you know, teach us something about the character. There's so much room for them in Sundance TV miniseries that you, me, maybe Sean Fennessy and at best 1700 other people will get super into, mm-hmm. um, means that there is absolutely no room for them at all on the stuff that we review on HBO or FX or whatever. Interesting. That, 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 that those sort of small character beats are getting squeezed out entirely. So it's the almost stuff like at the top has to be so, first, much, so noisy. First, everybody was trying to make you know the the sort of mid tier, you know, smart drama or intellectual thriller got squeezed out of Hollywood, and now you think they're getting mm-hmm. squeezed out of HBO and AMC. Well, yeah, and it, I mean, think about this: like Sundance TV is the art house. AMC, which was itself the art house, I, I don't know, like art house CBS, yeah, right, right? right. Um, all the networks now have junior networks or other places to, to put their content out. I mean, FX went a different way where they have FXX for their more, you know, younger skewing content. Um, HBO is sort of using Cinemax for its genre stuff, which is which is going great. I mean, you know, I love Banshee and they have, and I, we, you and I love The Nick and I'm excited about some of the other shows they have coming up. But you know, it, 
it's this mixed thing where I think we're both really happy the stuff is getting made and being made with a with a specificity and purity of vision. Like this is not a watered down crime show. It's just an enjoyable is what it is crime show. But I I do wish there was more room for that sort of atmosphere at the top. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Andy, you know, we mentioned just quickly there in passing CBS uh, this week on CBS, um, which is a fine network on Tuesday. A special guest star is joining mm-hmm. Limitless. Mm-hmm. And if you were going to cast somebody who is had less limits than the character, the main character who is already limitless, but this guy he's, has even fewer limits, who would you cast? It, it seems almost impossible, but yet, but here we are. And, there's, and there's driver's of, driver is not available. Limits. Driver's not available. He's he's <laughs> shooting a he's shooting episode eight in the Isle of Wight somewhere. And and Renner has a beautiful post and beam home uh, in Mount Washington. <laughs> Renner just, is at the Silicon Valley Comic Con pumping for a Netflix show. <laughs> that is so weird. <laughs> I mean, um, does he really want to be wearing leather arm guards that for like that much of the time? Juliet Littman and I like, often he, talk about like how, how much would this pr- it would cost to get somebody to do this, and I don't mean this in like a, a you know like make somebody do something embarrassing way. I just mean like. If you wanted to make a show with X actor, like how much really money do you have to raise? And sometimes I just wonder if like all you need to get Renner is just like a, a firm handshake and a look in his eye. Because uh, why is he out there and, just being like? And you have to. You, this thing that his. Nor- you have to extend a subscription to dwell. Yeah, you exactly. Have to do that. You have That's to. The deal you have to be part of the House Hunters International fan club. But when he's. You have to be at least one of the property brothers, not both, <laughs> but one. But, like, what is he doing when he's just, like, at a Comic-Con and this—, this uh, First of all, I don't like the way I say Comic-Con, usually. I think I say it, like, yeah. as if it's one word and it's hyphenated. But when he's out there at these Comic-Cons— I, I thought cons, you were going to say—I thought you were going to say you didn't like it because of the way it drips with visceral disdain. But please, go on. He's, he's at these off-brand Comic-Cons, and dudes are like, when are you going to make your Hawkeye Netflix show? And he's just like, all they have to do is ask. Come on, man. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to this. I, I think that if we were to just wrap our arms around all of the Avengers related press that Jeremy Renner has done in the last two plus years and tried to find a common denominator to his answers, I think that denominator would be total bullshit. Yeah. Well that maybe it's all it's all checked lark. out and just tried to have as much fun as possible. Maybe it's a con. I don't know. But any in any case I, I, I think but since you set me up for it, I do think I have to spike the volleyball and say that were there to be a Netflix Hawkeye show and it was based on Matt Fraction's amazing run on the character, which is probably my favorite comic from the last five years, that would be really dope. And I wish that could happen. I li- it's not going to happen. Don't, don't so. get it twisted. I like Jeremy Renner a lot. I just don't really know what he's doing right like with his, with his acting career. Um, but just to get back to the original not exactly real question was uh, – Bradley Cooper is going to be on Limitless this week. He, what's interesting about it is that when they made the TV show, and I'm sure he's getting some money as an executive producer or something in exchange for this, he said that he would appear on the show, ironically, with serious limits. Like he would only, <laughs> you know, he'd make appearances as his as his schedule allowed. Um, because who better to tutor the young man who has so recently, you know, become devoid of limits than the original, original person who who broke free of the shackles. Of, of lim- can I be honest with you? Yeah. Just can I stop for a second and be honest with you? I, I, 
I don't know what this this show or, or movie is about. That's fine. It's basically assume... like about a dude who takes Adderall and can do math really well. I I guess what we're trying to figure out is <laughs> is with Bradley Did, Cooper. Didn't we used to hang out with that guy? <laughs> yeah. I worked at Newberry Comics with him. Because um, the reason we actually, I was really bringing this up is because around the office and just, um, you know, between the two of us and, and, and just around America, I think that Burnt, which was Bradley Cooper's uh, <laughs> gambit for best actor last year, has become something of a yeah. cult sensation, <laughs> unbeknownst to most people. And also you <laughs> you and I, like we were just talking about, like you got to see Aloha on one of your uh, infamous plain movie watching binges. And those are two of these. Andy's airplane movies is a thing, by the way. I feel like we got to celebrate. Who told you it's a thing? Where do you think it's a thing? Is there like a Reddit subthread that tells you that people are into Andy's airplane movies? Can I school you on how media works in 2016, Chris Ryan? I know you're 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 high up on the ringer masthead, but maybe you need a you need a lesson from someone who is no longer within limits. Oh, I need a refresher Um, course. Okay. I'm just I'm just saying. Here's your dose of the drug NZT for the day. I I have Wikipedia open. it's a thing if I keep saying it's a thing and you don't question it. So I'm just asking for a little quid pro quo. And you'll be like, yeah, what a great thing. And pretty soon all the listeners will be like, oh, I love that thing. I, I fly on a lot of airplanes now, often to be reunited with you. And I use that time to see these films, you know, that we hadn't seen before. So, like, you, you, you mock me. I saw The Martian, man. I saw it. Give me your, I can give do me your one sentence. from give me last one March sentence now. take on The Martian. It's not so much that it's one sentence. It's... You know, uh, I'm just going to give you a, a, just an analogy of what I thought of this movie, okay? Will you, will you allow it? Sure. I, I don't like... And we're coming back to Bradley Cooper. Don't turn off your podcast apps yet. Um, generally, I, this is a no-family zone. I don't talk about it. You know, like, like, like Chance said, my daughter's like Sia. You can't see her. But I, I have to use an analogy that, that, about something that she says, which is that she a- always tells me to tell her the whole story of something. She says, can you tell me a whole story of Wizard of Oz? Can you tell me a whole story of Mary Poppins? And for a while, I was tell, like, tell okay, me the whole story, story of about the, the time Mary... <laughs> well, that's, that was a weird night, but, you know, <laughs> she didn't take a nap. But, you know, she, for a while, I'd be like, okay, this is, this is I got to get my dad chops. Like, I got to tell a story about Mary Poppins coming to Brooklyn and hanging out with wags from Billions or whatever. And pretty soon, though, I realized she just wants me to tell her the story of the movie again. And she's re- she loves it. She loves it. So she just wants a verbatim retelling of it. And if I skip any detail, she's like, no, no, I want you to tell me the whole story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was Drew Goddard's M.O. with this screenplay of The Martian, which was like, we're not going to tell you a movie that's necessarily like interesting or emotionally compelling or shaded in any way. We're just going to tell you the whole story. That was that was my takeaway. I I enjoyed it. What a cast. Right. What a cast. (laughs) But but like my man lived on Mars in a literally inside of a hurt locker for four years uh-huh. and he just grew a beard and ate potatoes and was otherwise chill like that's 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 not that interesting he to had me, those is perks it? though he had the percocets that he was grinding up into his mashed potatoes but he didn't show any bad effects from that like show me a movie about a dude who becomes addicted to painkillers in space like that that's a good movie i just think that if you, you know were, what i mean like if it, you were it, on mars do you think there's addiction on Mars? Because if you're like, it, it, whatever physical detoxification you have to go through, you've got plenty of time because you're on Mars. You're not going anywhere. And second of all, all the mental stuff is kind of taken out of like, God, how am I going to like interact with other people without the help of uh, illicit substances? You're on Mars. You're not going to interact with anybody. 
All you're doing is uh, is, is sending yeah. out like those weird code letters back to Chilatel back on the Earth, the Earth. Yeah. So I'm, what I'm saying is that after all that, and then after cracking all your ribs <laughs> by flying into space in a convertible, <laughs> your banter game with you know Captain Jessica Chastain is not going to be a level. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. And like. That dude, Scott Kelly, just spent a year in space for real in our world. And then ever since he came down from space, there's just photos of him, like, having deep-density bone scans done in Kazakhstan. <laughs> because they literally don't know if his body can continue being upright anymore. That's not funny. So I feel, like, I feel like knowing that, my girl Kate Mara was maybe a little too cavalier about, sure, we'll just take another four years. Also, can we do backstory on Michael Pena's real relationship with his kids? Oh, how he's just like, just deuces. like, oh, this is my kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like, look, I know I have made a promise to my family, but I also made a promise to Jason Bourne, who we left <laughs> dying on a red desert planet. So later, I'm sure you'll be just as cute when you're nine. These takes like, would be weird, so right? good if they were happening in November. <laughs> I know it kills me, right? Okay. But so after I watched The Martian, I was like, what can I do for Chris up here? you know floating at thirty six thousand feet i wasn't really floating except for the percocets there was no roof and i went through <laughs> you had a potato in the microwave no <laughs> jet blue's new convertible service um and uh so i was flipping through the options and uh, i landed on our old friend aloha now you've written about this movie really well for granlin and i hope people check it out <laughs> yeah there's a, it's this a wonder granlin's not around anymore <laughs> yeah it's a great point but I watched this movie, which is a Cameron Crowe movie. Like, Cameron Crowe, man, say anything. Jerry Maguire, almost famous. And the movie, and I'm like, Danny McBride, yes, Bill Murray, Emma Stone, such a great cast. And I watched the first 15 minutes, and I actually stopped and had to check I hadn't had a stroke. Because <laughs> How do you check? I understood nothing. <laughs> how, how did I check? Yeah. Is there like a... I, 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 I made some jokes about Jessica Chastain's taste in music, and I, I passed with flying colors. Good. Um, I, this movie was was just ripped to hell, and like Bradley Cooper was just saying things in voiceover, and I didn't understand any of them, and it made me think of just the incredible year he had when he went from Aloha to Burnt in one Anna Cerebus, right? Like, I think he's trying to be Tom was Hanks, he good at- and I don't think that there is a huge market for those movies right now, as Tom Hanks would tell you. I just think that he's trying to make these sort of delightful, charming... Aloha is an absolute mess. Uh, Burnt is exactly what they wrote. I mean, I read the screenplay for Burnt. That's pretty much the movie. Uh, and and it's that kind of, like, aspirational, like, takes you into a world that you're interested in, charming, like, guy who's, like, sexy but safe but dangerous, and... I don't know. You surrounded him like with great a- other actors, but both of those movies just like really. I, I mean, Burnt deserves its whole other th- whole, whole thing. I-, I I was just sort of curious where you know where wh- where we are in the world when B- Bradley Cooper is showing up on CBS on a Tuesday. I mean, I think that we're in a world where that that rule. Th- there was a time when someone who was either a list or a list aspirational. If they went on TV, it had better be like 1995 in a sweeps episode of Friends. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to do you right. more harm than good. You don't. You just don't touch that stuff. But um, we're past that. Like people, you know, TV is where it's at, and so people can dance in and out of stuff, and people seem okay with it. Um, but Burnt is Burnt is is legitimately fascinating because it is a shit show, but it's weirdly honorable because you look at the names of the people involved. 
Um, it's directed by John Wells, mm-hmm. who Did is ER. a great yeah. presence on TV, ER and West Wing and Shameless. Um, and it was written by Stephen Knight, who wrote one of my favorite movies from last year when I actually saw Locke. Right? He does Peaky Blinders. <laughs> gotta get the poor right. Um, he's He's really... You gotta get the poor right, man. He is... A really talented and interesting screenwriter. And you have Bradley Cooper. You have Sienna Miller, who is quite good in it. Omar Omar Side, Daniel Bruhl, who... His movie, the movie he thought he was making, was the better movie. <laughs> and uh, I liked Vikander, My man, man. Matthew Reese, star of, star of Wine Show. And Vikander, Academy Award winner Vikander, who just shows up to sort of pout at Bradley Cooper and hand him a knife. Papa wanted you to have his knives. It's... <laughs> but it's so slow and serious and not good. And it's it's... It's so compelling for those reasons, though, right? Like, I, I'm not sure because we didn't talk. We talked around it, and we've made a, a thousand jokes about it to each other and in the Ringer office. But is this the kind of movie that you want to, like, give an irrational Oscar to? Like, is this the movie that you think is secretly actually good? Is it, like, the gambler for you? Or no, is it it's, just it's, an interesting Yeah, feeling? I mean, there's definitely some elements of that. I think the thing that's funny is just seeing these – t- every once in a while, you'll see a movie. And, and Burns screenplay has been hanging around since, like, 2007 or something like that. I remember – it's been around for a mm-hmm. while. And you can tell that this movie would have just played so much better six years ago. There's just something about the way popular culture and art feels now that just doesn't make any sense with the, in the world of, like, we need the genius chef who's a recovering addict and, and is fighting away multiple women. And that's, like, a good idea for a movie. That's totally right. And And... What's interesting is that when writing about the develop, I mean, the things written about the development of the movie online suggest that it was billed as a comedy. Yeah, which it is absolutely not. It takes itself so so no, Cooper so seriously. Cooper definitely thinks more he's, seriously. In, he's in like a drama. Yeah. <laughs> what, how about when he starts talking French? It's just it's just amazing. It's like it's transporting the, the, the fact that like his character's name is Adam Jones and. <laughs> The restaurant he opens is called Adam Jones. That's what the and there movie was, a hot was going to be the called. The movie was going to be called Adam Jones, which is just like maybe you should release a movie called like Mayonnaise on Toast. Just like the least compelling name for a film I've ever heard. I mean, Not if I told you they were making they a movie about a guy named Adam Jones, wouldn't you be like, oh, is that guy, did he play small forward for Temple in the 90s? Wasn't that Pac Man Jones's real name? No, it is, yeah. Like, like that that's a, that's a more interesting movie especially if you have Daniel Bruhl in it um it's Daniel, weird Daniel to, to bring Bruhl things full circle and, and not just Jones. <laughs> no no i don't think he's playing pac-man jones i just think he's in the movie potentially as the gay sommelier he is in burnt um <laughs> and then we just watch the sparks fly i i think just to go full circle we when we were talking about happen leonard and we were talking about the things that are sort of being edged out of the mainstream like there's no room for the sort you know the the the, the genre film or the or the or the solid B um, romantic comedy on the big screen. This is a serious minded movie with a very serious tone and a serious cast. And there was just no place for it in the world. It was made with the best intentions and it was ultimately not made well. But regardless of that, there wasn't a universe where this was successful. And and that's what's I guess what came as a surprise to the people who funded it. Right. There's just can, can you imagine a world unless it was a comedy? with, like, a lot of hot improv takes and a LeBron James supporting role, like, is there a world where this movie could ever have been successful as anything other than an, an, an ego vehicle for to get Cooper some sort of award? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it certainly seems like it. Um, 
Well, buddy, let's wrap it up. We have a watch re-up coming later in the week that we're both really excited about, music-themed one. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we'll be back, you know, next next Monday to talk TV. Uh, any parting thoughts? I I mean I I had some thoughts prepared, um, and I was going to deliver them in French, but unfortunately I'm out of NZT, the drug from Limitless, so I'm unable to. to <laughs> I give think you, you left those it in your sous vide bag. Uh, all right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Great job, Redsky. <laughs> <laughs>